2: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 87. So if you were in Minneapolis this last weekend and came to my show at the Varsity Theater, I thank you. Oh, my God, that show was so much fun. Uh, I met a ton of cool nerds afterwards. Still got to get people to start dressing up for these shows. Still got I saw a couple Tom Baker scarves, uh, but that was really about it. So start dressing up for my shows, which, by the way, are coming up on the Chaotic Good Comedy Tour. Brooklyn, May 20th. Second show added at the Littlefield, 10 p.m. Seattle, June 4th. Detroit, June 10th. Dallas, June 11th. Also, Nerd Melt shows at Meltdown in L.A., Nerdist Theater. Matt Myra's Day Off, Sundays, the open mic that Matt Myra hosts with Paul Sebas, sign-ups at 7.30, shows at 8. May 12th, Rove McManus and Axis of Awesome for Aussie Night. Go to Nerdist.com for info and ticket links for all of those shows. And big announcement, July 23rd, Nerdist Podcast Live at San Diego Comic-Con. Hashtag SDCC. Yes, we're going to be doing a show in the evening, July 23rd at 4th and B. Tickets will be available soon. Uh, guest TBD. But there will be an awesome guest and Matt Joan and I will be there. So please uh, get ready to come to that. Also, the 2011 limited edition Nerdist shirts are here. Pre-orders until May 23rd. They ship May 31st also at Nerdist.com. Our returning sponsor this week is Carbonite.com. All right, so I'm sure you've heard the dreaded click from your spinning hard drive plate. Sooner or later, our computers will fail us. I've been there. I have screamed many a time on my computer wanted to put my fist through it. But do not rely on your hardware alone. So with Carbonite, your files are automatically backed up whenever you're connected to the Internet. Plus, you will get anytime, anywhere access to your files with a smartphone and iPad app. Unlimited backups only $59 a year. That is the best insurance you will ever pay. Hardware is replaceable, nerds, but your work is not. So let Carbonite take care of that for you. Start your 15-day trial today at Carbonite.com. And if you use the offer code NERDIST, you will get two free months if you decide to buy Carbonite. We thank them for their continued sponsorship. And now, the Nerdist Podcast number 87 with Mr. Ed Helms.
1: Now entering nerdist.com.
2: Did your your mic, your mic just farted? It's I don't hear making, it. it's making fart sounds. I Ed, why is, mic, why is your mic? Why your mic making fart sounds? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's so that's so bizarre. Are you are you having are you having mic queefs? Mic queefs? <laughs> a little bit of mic queefs. It's Ed a... Helms, we're recording. This is oh. it. This is how it starts. There's no setup really. There's no big. Uh, and uh, our next guest, who I know we don't do any of that. Uh, we just start. We just start blabbing. We uh, stumble into a room. Mm-hmm. And ladies and nerds and gentlemen and people and geeks, we are in a severe crisis here. Um, uh, we are desperately trying to find an app that will remotely
3: control your iPad. Well, let's be clear. It, it needs, it should be it, like, what would the app? I, I don't know if it's an app or a device. It may be a separate thing. It, something you like, connect to it. Yeah. Something to remotely control and not, not through like a, a, a wire connection, but, no. but like a, like maybe if you could, stro- if you could ghost, your ipad from your iphone perhaps mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so that things that you're doing on your iphone someone else holding your ipad is looking at seems like you should be able to do that i would think so so let's have a little backstory um
2: ed uh, ed helms does an amazing show at largo it's it's really a weekend the la bluegrass situation well, uh,
3: yeah the the sort of two separate things that get joined up on this weekend there's the uh uh, I, I I do a show periodically at Largo called the whiskey sour radio hour which is which you've been a part of yes. before Mr Hardwick
2: I did I sang a rock bluegrass version of um uh the Titanic theme
3: my heart will go my on. heart yes. will go on yes. exactly with you playing I don't know if a lot of people know this about you you're a phenomenal banjo player well uh that's a liberal interpretation of the word phenomenal <laughs> but uh <laughs> I do I do play and uh that was really fun. It really was we, fun. Yeah, we we I might have a recording of that. Um that we that we could play and get really? and, and get sued for. Um, <laughs> is it all covers?
4: Uh what the band? Uh just the the is there a lot of covers in the throughout well, the weekend?
3: Uh well, so the show the Whiskey Sour Radio Hour is is just this show that I do from time to time and it's kind of this crazy variety show with a lot of really fun bluegrass music. Um uh, featuring my old band, uh, the Lonesome Trio, a bunch of other musicians. And then we have comedy, ridiculous stuff going on, too. This weekend we had uh, Tom Lennon on and Will Ferrell, and, uh, along with some great music. And last year you were on it, which was great. Um, tried to get you this year. I was Didn't out work. town. I know. Didn't
2: work. I know. I was in Florida. <laughs> I, I was in Florida was working. Was it worth
3: it, Chris? I, I, no,
4: it wasn't worth it. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be doing it. Because I know how much you love Florida.
2: <laughs> it's great it, it feels really good to go outside and then instantly have to mop the dripping sweat off your eyeballs <laughs> yeah. and to suck in the air and taste water
0: it feels really good
2: and also that that sheen of sweat really creates a nice uh like you're like an ant under a microscope lens mm-hmm. uh Am
4: just I, a void it, of it, any breeze is yeah it,
3: none is it inappropriate that i'm incredibly aroused right now <laughs> by that Chris can explain no. anything and make it sexy yeah
4: taxis, so, taxes.
2: Texas I was having double bypass surgery the surgeon slid two fingers into my aorta <laughs> <laughs> and then he and then he had the nurse smell them
3: um so the, so the whiskey sour radio hour is uh also something that we incorporate into uh, an annual event called the LA bluegrass situation which is four nights of shows at Largo um, and it's very bluegrass-oriented. And uh, this year, we had an incredible lineup. It was just this last weekend. Uh, Thursday night was Sarah and Sean Watkins with the Watkins Family Hour. Amazing. And uh, and, they, and and they Chris Thiele popped in. They had a Nickel Creek reunion. Oh, nice. that's was awesome! Absolutely banana, bananas. There's their was their cover
4: of uh, Spit on a Stranger by Pavement is one of the best cover songs I've ever heard in my
3: life. Yeah, they're, they're so awesome. They're absolutely bananas. And then... Uh, Friday night was Chris Thiele's band the Punch Brothers mm-hmm. who are banana cakes and then Saturday night was my show the Whiskey Sour Radio Hour which we did two of back to back which I don't know if I'll ever do again <laughs> is a it because it was brutal but so fun uh the second show everyone was a little bit tipsy and got a little <laughs> crazy it was really fun and then uh, uh Sunday night was Steve Martin with uh Uh, a fabulous band called the Steep Canyon Rangers. Yes. And uh, Steve, as you know, is an extraordinary banjo player. Yeah.
2: Drop Thumb Medley. I mean, I used to listen to, like, I I listened to his banjo playing on the old comedy records as much as I listened to the bits. The the Steve Martin Brothers? I'm actually, the the Steve (laughs) Martin Brothers. I'm actually surprised I didn't pick up the banjo because of Steve Martin. I
4: I actually tried to pick up the banjo because of Steve Martin. I was obsessed. I had a, a, a King Tut 45 And on the other side was just two different uh, uh, banjo tunes that he did, and I was like, "Oh my god!" To to be in comedy, you also have to learn how to play the banjo. I thought in my head that's what I thought you had to do, and so I was saving up money every week. I was like doing a bunch of chores. My dad was giving me a little bit of money at a time, and then um, and then like I, I, I I was I had a number that I had to get up to. Uh, because there was at the Coconut Grove, at the used music shop, there was a banjo for $350. So I was like, saving up money, saving up money. I finally get enough money. I go in, and as I'm walking up the stairs to Coconut Grove, there's a dude walking down the stairs with a banjo. I was like, oh, that kind of looks like the banjo's going to (laughs) get. Well, time to go get that banjo. And then I get up there, and the guy's like, oh, no, dude. Because I had been going in and trying to play with it and kind of checking it out. And the guy kind of, the guy at the used music shop. how old were you? I was probably uh, 12. So then you
2: just... You just wasted the money on Samoan blowjobs John who is so
3: this is so sad. It really is. I mean, this is like a very poignant. Fate uh, said yeah. to you,
2: You will not play this
3: banjo. No, no. That uh, was the only banjo in Hawaii. That actually too. was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't they're not a big banjo. I did, culture. I did look
4: I did look around. Uh it was just there was it was just the cheapest one I could afford. And like, you know, I uh but then I, I got into playing the drums. Uh, but Which was sort of like an unstringed banjo. Yeah, that it is. It is, yeah exactly. sure. absolutely. That's exactly what it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, um, but less cool. Uh,
3: yeah, so we were talking uh, about how cool it was. I used an iPad as my set list during the show, and what we were talking about is how cool it would be if someone like a stage manager offstage could scroll a document on the iPad... Uh, on the stage, and also fling you notes if you need them, like like push
2: notes and things. Ooh, yeah, like, oh maybe, wow. yeah, like yeah, like yeah. Send updates whole or bubbles. Yeah, which you know he could do if, if he that actually you could do if because you just you just you share a Dropbox folder with him, and he can he can put stuff in his Dropbox folder, and then it'll appear in your Dropbox. Well, but the, but you'd, you'd have, have to. to but refresh. the point
3: is the the, the whole point. Hardwick, the reason I'm talking about this to begin with is that that, that on on stage, you don't want to touch the thing. That's true. You want it just to mirror or just to like someone remotely control it so that uh, so that, you know, sort of like a teleprompter where somebody is actually controlling the speed of the scrolling text. Yeah. And there are teleprompter apps for for iPad, but they they do um, they act on preset Timings. It's so not. So if you fuck not...
2: up, it's like it's not going to stop for you.
3: Yeah, it won't stop
2: for you. Exactly. Have you
3: ever thought about honing your
2: capacitive telekinesis skills? <laughs> well, that would just no. blow up. What? The iPad would just blow up. No, it wouldn't. You'd just be able to control it with your mind, is the point. <laughs> if your mind was that strong, wouldn't you be able to just remember mm-hmm. the. You know, that's a different part of the brain, Jonah. Oh. Yeah. Sorry, you're
4: clearly not a Sorry, neuroscientist. I, just, I haven't seen Phenomenon in a long time starting to draw Travolta. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
2: God, why'd you bring it up? He's, he lives in the flowers. He lives in the air.
4: <laughs> um,
2: that was such a weird turn that movie took, where it's like, oh, my God, this guy has these cool powers. Oh, it's a tumor. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. If you haven't flash. seen Phenomenon by this point, you're probably, it's probably not high on your list. Yeah, you know,
4: there's two, t- two types of people, the Phenomenon people and then people who like the movie Michael.
3: I mean, you know, when it comes <laughs> to their fantasy. Two categories. Yeah. I'm a look who's talking guy. Yeah. Look, yeah. yeah, look who's talking too. Look who's talking now. That the, Those, now was with the animals. The yeah, the dogs. But
4: Danny did they both have John Travolta? Yeah, uh, they all have John Travolta they all yeah, have John and Kirstie Alley. Okay, yeah, all right. Or is Blank call her Kirsty Boulevard? Yeah, I know that. is yeah.
2: joke. <laughs> I love... actually the first look who's talking was was. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing at that. No, not I'm glaring at, all. at was, you both. Yes, in disapproval. Uh. <laughs> I really there should be some sort of a remote because you can uh, you can remotely control your computer your desktop computer through your apps you can remotely control uh your apple t v uh through your ipad and through right. your iphone right so it seems like you should be able to remotely control uh the you know your iphone from your ipad and vice
3: versa well now here's what you can do which is really cool is you can plug in i th- i th- i think you can use your ipad to control like a uh you know a big uh, multimedia presentation yes through keynote w- right keynote right. you can you can use the keynote on your ipad to uh to do that but that's using th- this is this is the distinction i don't care about using my ipad as a remote i'm talking about remotely controlling my ipad well you know
2: the m- i think the main problem is that uh you would have to connect them some way and you probably wouldn't be able to do it via Bluetooth. If I, I say that if if the next generation of iPhones and iPads uh, start using the NFC, the near field communication technology, I just cracked it. Wait, what is it, I, in just my head. it I just thought of it. I, just thought of it I thought of it at first. He's a guest. We both <laughs> <laughs> we
3: both telekinetically. Yeah, do, are you guys near field communicating with your brains? My head almost here's, exploded. Here's okay. a workaround. Okay, here's a workaround. All right, it's not what we're what we want, but you could have a document on your iPad, for example, on stage. Your stage manager off screen has bluetooth a bluetooth keyboard. connected keyboard and just scrolls down for you. Exactly. Done. That's exactly what came into my head too. But what's the uh what, what's the radius of of it, it, It's just a few a feet.
4: feet. I mean, what is, is, it, is it
2: like 10 feet maybe,
4: Matthew? No, you can go
3: like 30.
2: Is it 30?
4: Oh, if yeah. it's 30 yeah.
3: feet, you could
0: We did it. That's We did
3: it. Yay. <laughs> Guys, this is how problems get solved. Here's the bigger All right. Thing. Okay. No. Cancer still a problem. This oh. is okay. This is still an issue. We just caused more
0: cancer. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I thought
3: of why this won't work. Uh oh. Because the stage manager in the wings can't see the screen and has no idea where they are in the document. So if they're scrolling down, they have no idea. <laughs> they have no idea how well, far they should be scrolling. if you wanted to, you
0: could connect the video adapter, and he could have his own monitor. That would there you go.
3: go. There, Boom, it
4: done
2: there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how you do but it. But the video adapter has to be connected. Dude, you could just
0: stream it down iPad, and then yeah, like uh, tape we, down
3: the the cords across the stage. There are
0: the cables stage. on the stage anyway. The, the
3: cables, there's cables on the stage. I'm yeah. not worried. The cables, yeah. we, cables we can deal with. I think that's it. This would work. Yeah. Is there, is there any is well. there well. any
2: kind of airplay if he had a monitor? If he had uh, if he had a a, a monitor backstage, mm-hmm. could could airplay kick? No, because play no, only no, works. Controls,
4: can um can not. a Bluetooth keyboard is be connected still, to
2: two different uh, is devices? Anyone no. <laughs> <of> people, <actually. laughs> is anyone still listening? A lot of people actually. Is anyone
3: still listening? <laughs> our audience
2: is all nerds. Are you kidding? <laughs> no. There, right right now, that was just the simultaneous cacophony of a hundred thousand ejaculations happening at the same <laughs> yeah. time. No, no, I
4: don't think it's ejaculations. It's people going. Nah, the people who knew what to no, no. do, no. do no. the entire time. Right. That was, yeah. That,
3: yeah. Actually, yeah,
0: yeah. that was Alderaan blowing up. That's what you found. people like
3: like like pacing around the room, like knocking things over. Like I know the
4: answer to this.
2: You know, when, I, when I'm with a lady for the first time, I want her to think I'm really enjoying it. So I have I have two discharges, and the first one I go, pre-cum! And then, uh, and then the it's second one. A lot of pre-cum. One, yeah, it's a lot of I know. pre-cum. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I want her to think I'm having a good time.
3: So, uh, you know, How are ladies, you? Ladies like that. <laughs> ladies Why am the... I'm sneezing in here. Are you allergic? I've been, I've been hitting my cough button. I assume that also works I use for, that for my... are you allergic to I use fun that ed? for my burps. I'm like, <laughs> and when I do this, uh,
1: that's oh. nice.
3: It's like a little beastie, boy. <laughs> intergalactic, it, planetary, <laughs> planetary, planetary, intergalactic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh my god, that would be a
3: fucking great bluegrass
2: cover. Yeah.
3: That w- you're right. That would
2: that be a would be phenomenal really bluegrass, bluegrass cover. Because my, I mean, I love. Um, Mike Furman and I did a bluegrass medley of Radiohead covers called Rodeohead. Which is just like 18 Radiohead songs. In By the way, five the,
3: the Punch Brothers do a completely unironic and phenomenal show of, uh, of like very beautifully interpreted, uh, Radiohead songs. Really? Uh-oh. Yeah. And it's, it's actually, I saw it at, at, uh, Telluride Bluegrass Festival last year and it blew people's minds. It's like a very, very, like, uh, uh, Intense and very like legit. Interpretation. What songs did they cover? Do you know? Do you remember? Uh, Is that remember. up anywhere? I don't think so. It was the live thing. It, I'm not sure if it's. Well, out if I there. can't
2: find any of those, I'll just I'll stick Rodeo Head at the end of this broadcast. Uh,
3: broadcast. But I remember <laughs> you guys. Yeah, I remember hard and firm doing like, with the little bit with You guys.
4: Remember, how? You. I remember just how awesome it was when you guys had the uh, the backing band video.
2: Yeah, because we couldn't. It was costing us so much money. Yeah, like five dudes,
4: right? We had we had
2: four or five dudes. We could never play it live. So we literally found one banjo player, um, a guy named Cody Bryant. We found him. And uh, no one wanted to play. Like every banjo player we'd call. First of all, they all know each other. All the banjo players in L.A. seemed to know each other. Because we'd call like the local banjo uh, club. Line, the banjo <laughs> and they'd be like, no, no, no. no. And, then, and then we'd tell them what we wanted to do. And then we'd, uh, and they'd go, no, 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 you want this other guy. He plays a five string banjo, and they go, no, no, you need a four string banjo with a guy who's heavy on jazz because, because <laughs> like Radiohead's like heavy nine signature, right? You know. Right. And so we found one guy who could do it, and we just couldn't keep bringing this whole bluegrass band all around LA. So we shot them in a studio playing a song, and Mike Furman in After Effects put up all this like scrolling news ticker and stuff, and we pretended that we were playing with them live via satellite. Yeah. But we put all these dumb non-sequitur things at the bottom of the screen. I mean, literally just stuff like sharks are assholes, just like stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that was great. And then people would still have the show go, how did you get a satellite link up? That's You're like, <laughs> cool. Though. Really? Sharks are assholes? Yeah. You really think that was on CNN? <laughs> yeah, so, I,
3: remember, I remember thinking that was rad because it was just like CNN through a window proud, too. It right? was through a window. Yeah. I never, I never yeah. saw that, but that... Uh... yeah. It was the only way we could uh, would, could affordably play that song. And You're we're, we're booked as that doing that act on the next Whiskey Sour Radio Hour. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if we can do it. Yes. It's good.
4: Did the audio come from that video? Did you? Was that? Yeah. Okay. So yeah.
3: Yeah. So they play the backing
2: track, and then Mike Mike plays along live, and yeah. then we we both sing along live. That's yeah, a yeah.
3: very very clever solution. Yeah. We're, we're not, just solving all kinds of problems. Right? I remember, yeah, I remember okay.
4: you would, there was even the joke up front. I was like, hey, guys, how's it going? They're like, hey. You know, <laughs> yeah, we, and, talk, we talk to them, and
2: then yeah, and yeah. then we go, uh, so to prove this is live, yeah. uh, the is there the anything you have thing? there? And then yeah. and then Lee Farber, who writes on the soup, he goes, yeah. oh, I have a newspaper. And I go, what is the data on the newspaper? And he goes, uh, today's. And I go, great. <laughs> so it was it's just a stupid workaround, just yeah. a dumb workaround. I just but, remember,
4: though, it was timed perfectly. I never saw it uh, even get close to being off sync.
3: Yeah, we practice, man. Yeah. Mike and I just practice in doing her practice in homework.
4: Um I love
2: though because I'm so fat I I l- adore bluegrass music. I I have the bluegrass series channel uh and my presets uh I absolutely love. It was
3: was Noam uh Pickle-knee, Pickle-knee? Yeah, Pickelney? Noam. He was uh, he's in the Punch Brothers. So he was there uh uh Friday night. On he's, Friday. He's uh, show. I guess mind-blowing would be the perfect word to describe. Well, of course, he was he he was on the Whiskey Sour show yeah, last, last year, year that you did. And then and he won that he won that
2: bluegrass right, award the, that Steve the Martin. The Steve
3: Martin banjo prize, which yes. is a $50,000 cash prize Holy to shit. to someone. Uh, it, there there are a lot of these kinds of artistic uh, rewards for uh, in classical music and jazz for really for musicians who are um who are kind of on the cutting edge and doing something really special uh and musicians, as we know, aren't generally making tons of money, especially right. in fields like bluegrass and jazz. And so, uh, so this, was a, this is the first award of its kind in the bluegrass world. And, uh, and, and it was Steve Martin's idea, and he endowed it. And so Gnome won the first one, and they announced it on, on Letterman. Gnome got to play on Letterman, which was very, very cool. And, uh, and he is a space alien. On the banjo, like you cannot believe. Are space aliens known
4: for being really good at the banjo? Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's one of those Star Trek planets where the entire planet is one central theme. It's that <laughs> so everyone plays. <laughs> <laughs> every, it's just that 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 idea of the universe that every planet is just one thing. Yeah. yeah. But this is a pleasure planet. Right. Yeah. This is a banjo planet. <laughs> so that's where Noam. That's where Noam comes from. A Really nice guy too. I remember from yeah, from last all year. All those
3: guys are are great. You know bluegrass music th- typically doesn't draw the jerk population <laughs> that's true yeah because it, it really it's there it's a very respectful subculture well i think it's uh, that people are so happy to have found each other they're kind of like oh you like this too let's, well beyond that let's be friends beyond that to play bluegrass music you have to be good like it, it's 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 not
2: it's not just like oh i know three rock chords Right, You know, like, you you can't, it's very difficult to fake good bluegrass music, I think, because, you know, you're picking a banjo, there's, you know, you're playing a fretless stand-up bass, uh, I mean, it's, or you're playing a mandolin, which is a fucking hard instrument to play. So I I just, I think that, uh, I think that you, if you go into bluegrass, you have to be really good.
3: Um, Well, I may be the exception to that.
2: That's not true. I saw you (laughs) play, you're really good. Did you ever, did you, there was a, my, one of my favorite uh, bluegrass bands was a band that was LA-based. And they played for years, uh, called the Cousin Lovers, and they were fucking phenomenal. I don't know those guys, and it was one of those bands that you just you'd see them live. As my friend Tim Ferguson, and he was a phenomenal uh, a mandolin player. And you know, I think they have an album called uh, "You're There for Experience," and it's it's more it's more sort of like contemporary bluegrass like the, the theme the the musical themes are contemporary yeah uh but it's it's just blue they're just good solid musicians
3: well there's a lot i mean the the, the word bluegrass uh, can mean so many different things to, to some people it just means uh, a, a certain arrangement of instruments banjo fiddle bass guitar you know uh mandolin and 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 then, whatever the music is can be a million different things right and and a band like the Punch brothers or the infamous string dusters or crooked still like all these cool bands are kind of like redefining what that instrument cluster can can produce
4: what yeah. are the um um how much how many ties does uh bluegrass music have to just uh irish um kind of like you know picky uh
3: you know I don't i i I think the ancestry oh, of bluegrass music is is uh, more of the sort of Scottish hill country music yeah. uh, that you know Appalachian the the, the the Scottish settlers in Appalachia that that kind of got mixed with um, American uh, you know spirit, gospel music yeah, and things yeah. like that. But um, but there's no question a lot of Irish there's a lot of players that kind of cross into both categories. That play Irish and play bluegrass and especially fiddle players overlap. But, um, oh, that last time that I remember last year, not only was
2: the main show that we did super fun, but then you guys went to the little room at Largo. Oh, yeah. And fucking jammed. You jammed with Sarah Watkins and Jackson Brown. Yeah. Like Jackson Brown <laughs> was there.
3: And then he went up and, and you guys just jammed. That was, la- yeah. Th- those little room jams are the greatest. That's one of the coolest things about Largo is is the is the community that just kind of like bubbles up out of the woodwork and everyone just loves to hang out and and play great music. I mean that
2: you know Flanagan is such a genius and such a sweet guy, the guy who runs Largo that that Largo is really the hub of the, like, some of the best comedy mm-hmm. and music. I mean, like you know you saw um you know this is this is where guys like Paul Tompkins and Sarah silverman and and Posain and, and Patton Zach and-, and Zach and Mitch Hedberg and like a lot of these people flourished at largo
3: yeah. uh, in the 90s and and, and, and musically he was like elliot smith and uh, amy La- man and fiona apple and yeah grantley uh, phillips and and of course nickel creek and those guys you mm. know the watkins rufus and all those
2: guys. rufus uh, wainwright and i mean like it, it's just an incredible hub of of comedy and music and i like that they're so sort of closely related like all of these all these musicians john bryan they're all like funny people yeah. yeah, like they're genuinely funny people. That's why I
4: thought it was perfect when uh, Loudon Wainwright III started like did a couple shows at Largo, like maybe about like ten years ago. Yeah, I thought that was pretty pr- spot on, just because you know comedy and he's so funny.
2: How does ten-year-old uh, Ed Helms wrap his mind around playing banjo with Steve Martin? <laughs>
3: <laughs> ten-year-old Ed Helms? What um, do you mean? Maybe not. Like yeah, like Eleven and a half. I guess would oh, be like you mean like. You, you mean like uh, like like uh, you're, as you as a kid you know yeah, like yeah. like because I I'm, I imagine that you were probably a Steve Martin fan. I was a Steve Martin fan, but a huge Steve Martin fan. Um, but oddly, my bluegrass trajectory kind of was separate from my. I, I I loved Steve Martin as a comedian, and I I always thought that it was really cool that he played the banjo. But um, but you know bluegrass uh, music for me kind of. Uh, I don't know i I got into it through different channels, so now what's what was really cool for me and kind of a privilege in the last couple of years is getting to getting to know Steve Martin through our mutual love of of banjo music <laughs> and not through comedy like something that I think would you would think is what drew us together is this sort of common career that we share, but really it's actually this uh this other interest that we have. My Which, guess is that Steve Martin does not want to talk
2: about comedy. He probably only wants to talk about banjo. That clearly art. seems to be his passion. Yeah. Talk about art, art and banjo. Yeah, yeah. he yeah.
3: does like to talk about art. Um, no, he's uh, he's just a, a really inspired and, and like, passionate guy. And and his, and his he's an incredible songwriter. The, he's put these two albums out in the last couple of years that are jaw-dropping.
4: It was the one so, from... A year or two ago, the crow,
3: the crow, yeah. that one's great. Which I, I picked
4: that one up when I was at the uh, banjo um, museum
3: in yeah. uh, o- uh, Oklahoma City. That's just a beautiful, wonderful tune, and and I I actually had the privilege of playing it with him this last Sunday night as our clo- our we closing try night of the
0: and find an artistic endeavor that Steve Martin's not good at.
3: <laughs> I know he's a genius. Glass blowing.
2: All yeah. right. <laughs>
3: we You'd him. be surprised. You'd, You'd be surprised. Well,
2: you know, he, you know what though? He's uh, he, he's experienced balloon animal shaper. So oh, that's glass, right. glass yeah. blowing. That's yep. right. There Your you. lower
4: intestines. It's still it's still uh it, I still get giddy when I see Steve Martin tweeting at Albert Brooks and then and Albert Brooks tweeting back at Steve Martin still. Just what a me. world we live in. Now. Yeah, right. <laughs> we get to the, the conversation between two comedy. Giants. They both
2: tweeted at me once and it's not because they have any idea who I am because they tweet back to a lot of people. But I still like I felt that. Well, as soon as I saw that I got a tweet from Albert Brooks, I felt like I was about to evacuate my balls. I yeah. mean my balls. Your balls. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. bowels.
4: Wait, Where do you keep your you balls? Know what, fuck it. I'll yeah, evacuate.
2: Balls. I'll tell you what, Albert Brooks get balls and bowels. How about that? Yeah. It's just everything evacuates so I can prepare for flight to run around in circles and scream. <laughs> Uh, but it is, it is such an interesting time where, I mean, when we were younger, we had these, you know, I had these comedy legends like Steve Martin or George Carlin or Richard Pryor, and and there was, there was little to no chance that we would ever be able to communicate with these people. And now I don't know if if people really understand, especially the younger generation of folks, how, what a gift it
3: is that you can actually communicate with people that you idolize. Mm. I I don't know. Is it, it, it's, it's a gift, but it's also kind of terrifying. Like can, you call, can you say it's a curse? Well, because uh, can I say it's a curse? Yes. It's a gift, but it's also it's a curse. curse? It's, a gift. It's, it's a gift, but also a curse. Oh. <laughs> it's a curse. Vertigo. to go. Um, but, you know, because it, there's something when everyone has a voice, yeah. a lot of toxic stuff gets out there, too. And and that's a that's kind of a creepy thing. Mostly toxic stuff. Mostly yeah. toxic stuff. Comments gets out there.
4: when you only care enough to say the very worst, true. <laughs> <That's> Nero, <laughs> <up> honey. <laughs> I guess that's. I guess
3: that is true. I mean, you're you're on Twitter. You're uh, uh, you're Edward Helms. Right? Yeah, but I I'm sort of uh, on it, but not really. I don't I don't know. I haven't really gotten into it. Yeah, I'm a little. I don't know. Kind of like a private private person. I don't like. I don't like any of you people at all. <laughs> well, that yeah, yeah. that just came out though.
1: <laughs> Let me tweet that. <laughs> I don't like any of you. <laughs> no, I I the just. The elephant uh, in the room.
3: I sort of. Uh, I don't know. I like to have, like to feel like I'm, I still have a little bubble of privacy or something.
2: But I think but maybe Twitter. Think,
3: maybe I'm overthinking it. Like Twitter doesn't necessarily violate that. It's just kind of no. like putting everything. It's what you want to show. I mean, it's, it's not, not like you know... like
2: if I, if I have a fight with my girlfriend, it's not like I go on Twitter and go. I had this really intense conversation with you know like.
3: I know, but when I had a fight with your girlfriend, Why? I I tweeted about it. That well, was some funny. No, some funny tweets. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> some of my best work. Oh. I just I just she just wished that you had shouted pre <laughs> 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 the first time uh, on the little uh, preview. But I want to know: um, Did you like? Where did you grow up, and where did you start comedy? And you know, was it something that you pursued as a kid, or or how did it all? Uh, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, you
0: mean Hotlanta?
2: Hotlanta. Don't say that; that Sorry. pisses people off. Oh, ATL.
4: <laughs> yeah, ATL. Can I say ATL. Yeah, the four hundred I say the Hustle and Flow. He's from the Hustle and Flow. Let him talk. What's okay. the
3: four hundred four? Isn't that a- Atlanta? Oh, four hundred four area is. code. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, grew up there and then went, went off to college in Ohio, Oberlin College. And uh, I just always wanted to be uh, on doing t- comedy on TV. I th- there was something about all those shows like, you know, "Saturday Night Live" and "Seinfeld and, 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 and when I was a teenager, a young teenager, the, the Ha network," which was what, what eventually became Comedy mm-hmm. Central, was on, and I was obsessed with that i watched the stand-up specials there wasn't a lot of content to show on that channel Not at the yet, time and a lot so of it was kind of canadian yeah it, it was like yeah. a lot you're right yeah there was a lot of like weird uh stand-up video mm-hmm. i didn- wouldn't even call it like specials <laughs> it was just stuff that they had like cobbled together they were just sort of yeah. they
2: were just sort of raping the comedy boom from the 80s for yeah, material because yeah, you
3: yeah. had the hot channel and then comedy channel and it was a lot of like paul provenza and, yep. and all these great you know the guys that 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 sort of set up where we are now. And, um, and I just w- w- just drank that stuff up. I couldn't get enough. And of course the kids in the hall on, on HBO at the time was so formative for me. Yeah. I just wanted, and Saturday night live. I just wanted to be like in that universe. So when I uh, graduated from college, I moved to New York city and, uh, and I had another job for a couple of years before I realized, you know, I sort of said to myself, you know the reason you moved to New York City was to do comedy, right? Isn't it interesting <laughs> but, but, how people that, forget that cuz well, they just get so caught up in like I got to pay my bills. It's not yeah. just that. It's like there's there's a lot of fear, you know, like I think there's for me it was a matter of kind of getting over the the fear of failure. You mm-hmm. know, I, which of course I've never really lost. I think we, we all struggle with that, but um but I it's like if I didn't try comedy, then I then i could i would never i could never fail at it so it's all it was sort of like i could always say oh i could have done comedy and unless i did it and failed in which right. case does this make any sense yeah, i don't know, absolutely yeah, so, yeah. so so then i i i eventually kind of just came to terms with that and i was like if i'm going to do this i got to do it it's time and to do it and how did you do it did you keep a day job did you do
2: comedy at night did you do stuff at ucb i or? did i
3: kept it i i sort of kept a day job um and uh, actually, around that time, I had started doing vo- doing reasonably well in the voiceover kind of racket, which is commercial voiceovers for TV commercials and radio commercials and all that stuff. And so I started to make a livable wage doing that. So my days were fairly flexible. I'd have like four or five auditions, voiceover auditions all day long, all over New York City. Mm-hmm. And then at night, I was just in all those clubs until two, three in the morning, every night. And it was sort of like, uh, it was a, I just made the decision, like I, every every time there's a microphone that someone will allow me to talk into in front of an audience, I'm going to get there. And so it was, uh, you know, there was four, five, six, seven years of that, just mm-hmm. kind of going out every night. And it was really awesome. Did that you go was, on the road at all? You know, I was sort of more of a the uh, New York City-based comic. I did a little bit of road stuff, some colleges, and, and then like a lot of New York comedians, the tri-state area, you kind of like bounce out to Long Island and up in Connecticut. It's such a good place to... St- I mean, like if you start... You know, there's there's sort of like feeder
2: communities are a little bit smaller, like, oh, you know, actually Atlanta has a decent comedy scene. For you know, sure, yeah. um, Denver has a good comedy scene. Then you move to like San Francisco or Chicago. Then you can migrate to New right, York. Right. But
3: I never I always tell people, like, don't come to L.A. first because it's yeah. not a good place. So it's a bad yeah, place to Yeah, I, I really Nobody sort did. of met my I kind <laughs> so of was was methodical about it. I thought, you know, to to me, it was either Los Angeles and like, you know, try to get into the groundlings and kind of go that route or uh or go to Chicago and really try to work my way into the second city world um or go to New York City and try to um kind of go it alone as a stand-up comedian and I felt like that's where I could just have more of an impact and actually I think also doing stand-up comedy um you have a little more control of your destiny it's a sure. it's a more entrepreneurial yeah. endeavor than just going and joining uh, uh, an existing entity like well
2: it also makes you feel like you have control over what you're doing i mean like there were you know i mean there were spans of a few years where i didn't work but Mm -hmm. i always felt like at least i'm moving forward in some way because i have stand-up to do right uh and i can do that every night and that's up to me right and so i always felt like i'm a little more in control of my destiny than just you know, like just auditioning for stuff as an actor. And when
4: you're a stand up, it's a, you, you're never, you're not like an improv kid where we were saying you have to identify yourself with an entire group or a theater or anything like that. You're just yeah. kind of your own co- uh, comedic entity. Yeah. You exactly. No one will say, it's like, well, he's a UCB kid. You know, no one will, no one will right. say that. They could just say, oh, well, he's just a comic. That's right.
3: where, yeah, that's where I think uh, comedy, stand up comedy is such a, such a cool kind of, I don't know, uh, exciting thing because you, you, you can, if you work really hard, you will get better and better and better, mm-hmm. and you uh, you're the one who gets the credit for that. It's also on the flip side when you are tanking and when you're failing, there's no one to sort of blame. But I kind of <laughs> like that. I kind of like too. having a, full responsibility exactly. for it. Yeah, that's what I liked about it. Was like I, it was it was me. It was on my terms, and I was either I was either it was either working or bombing because of me, and I could sort of it, it was exciting to me to kind of. Own that responsibility. And I also
2: love the sort of free fall of like, if you're in a scene with someone, if you're doing a sketch and it's not going over, you're in that sketch until it's, a- until right. it's done. <laughs> right, right, right. You right. know, but at least with stand up, you, <laughs> you, can, you bail. can make those quick <laughs> yeah, decisions yeah. or talk to the crowd <laughs> or, you know, like you have, you literally are just this, weird comedy wizard yeah. yeah you yeah, really yeah. control yeah. everything unless you're in the middle
4: of like a story or like a longer bit then you just you kind of it's hard to just bail what, up But in what's
2: that. interesting is that uh I wrote uh I wrote an article for Wired last year about comedy writing oh boy, and I talked to, I talked <laughs> 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 I don't know Jeez. if it's available anywhere like the internet but um but there but I uh Uh, but Bob Newhart, I got Bob Newhart to submit something and what he said he does is his stories have a series of bailout points. (laughs) So he has pre-placed a series of bailout points throughout the story. That's great. And he just goes th- through the story until it's not working anymore. <laughs> perfect. And then he jumps out, and then he goes home and then tries to figure out how to get past to the next bailout point. It's almost like right. it's almost like pole position that'll yeah. be. like, oh, I gotta get to the next checkpoint. <laughs> right, right. So, like, it's a really, it was a genius. I never thought of it that way before, but it was a really genius way to do it.
3: Yeah. yeah I Yeah, I guess I, I, I think if you have the right kind of energy you can really bail out of anything yeah, at the exactly. right at any
4: point I always know where your exits are <laughs> <Yes>. But the, <laughs> cool,
3: the cool thing about stand-up in new york city was that the comedy community at least kind of when i was there um uh was this is about 10 years ago i guess i'm talking about mm-hmm. between i don't know 13 14 years 14 and 12 years ago that little stretch uh it was such a, com, everyone was in it together. There was this feeling of like all the improv guys UCB had just started and everyone was kind of psyched about upright citizens brigade and, and, and it was starting to make its mark and, and comedians, uh, hung out with improv comedy, people, sketch comedy, people, everyone hung out together. There, there was a bar, uh, in Chelsea that everyone hung out. That was literally like cheers for, for comedian, Yeah. Mc, McManus yeah. and, uh, and that 19%. sense of that sense of community uh was so exciting and i am I'm, I'm so i feel so privileged to have been a part of that at that time because i don't know what it's like now but um but there was an excitement and an energy and something that felt like uh like everyone was in it together and kind of rooting for each other and and that's why i felt i think that's kind of what gave me a sense of like i'm out, i'm in the right place mm-hmm. because in that world, like friends of mine were starting to get auditions for, you know, The Daily Show or or Saturday Night Live or uh, or sitcoms or whatever it was, and and people were doing a lot of our our friends in that crew were doing bits on Conan and becoming writers on Conan and things like that. So it kind of felt like this little farm league and a and a good crew, and I, it was a it was a really exciting five four or five years there. So, what was your first kind of big? What was your first job
2: where you were like, "Oh, I think this actually is going to <laughs> change things a little bit"? Um,
3: well, there was, I guess, a lot of. Uh, y- y- you you kind of can mark your progress in stand up just by this by the time slots you're getting at different comedy <laughs> clubs. You know what I mean? Like if you're getting more of the kind of prime time spots and and i didn't really crack the nut of new york city stand up i wasn't like a main featured guy at like the comedy cellar or the comic strip right. but but i was getting you know at some of the lesser clubs i was getting uh, good good spots but also a lot of the the regular the kind of shows that comedians put together mm-hmm. around town I was doing a a lot of those and just in sort of bars and whatnot. But I always find those to be the most fun. Those can be a lot of fun. Uh, they can also be the worst yeah.
2: <laughs> the Cause absolute cause worst
3: because sometimes sometimes yeah. those shows it's comedy in general though.
2: you know like people don't know that there's about to be a comedy show yeah. and then all of a sudden the microphone
3: <laughs> <laughs> right goes exactly yeah. like, <laughs> can I have everyone's attention please no I'm hitting on this girl at the bar <laughs> sir please up, please <laughs> sir
2: later <laughs> I want to tell you about how crazy it is uh, <laughs> to eat cereal
4: hold on let me turn off this uh, football game everyone seems to be into and let's start the jokes Whoa. no the, yes
3: oh this yes. room
4: seems to be haunted
2: <laughs>
3: uh, there was one show i did actually the first tour i did if you could call it that it wasn't even a tour it was just a trip to uh santa fe i took with dimitri martin and this guy william mullen and karen Bergreen and we all uh we played at this piano bar in santa fe and (laughs) (laughs) i just remember the uh the, the, the piano player at this piano bar, who, which this bar was like an institution in Santa Fe, and he was so angry that the comedians were playing. It just oh, was very passive aggressive oh, towards us. It was really fun, though. Well,
2: you, you, yeah, yeah. When comedy comes, hey, I don't fucking bring my piano <laughs> into your comedy club. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
3: Huh. Um, but anyway, the, to answer your question, I think the first thing that made me feel like, all right, this is maybe I'm doing something right here. Uh was Premium Blend, mm-hmm. which was an early... I uh, did Premium Blend in 2001. Yeah. Um, I remember it. Yeah, that's about the time I did it. Or no, I did it in 2002. Okay. You did it, yeah. Because I had actually... in Between the time that I was booked on Premium Blend and when I actually did Premium Blend, I also got hired on The Daily Show. Right. So I was... It's kind I, of a... I had become a Daily Show correspondent, and then I went and did a Premium Blend set. Um, So uh, I guess that was... Uh, of course, The Daily Show was was a major kind of. I mean, you felt the impact of that right away. Yeah, well, n- kind of yes and no. I mean, it, it was a tremendous validation of of years of kind of being in the trenches. But on the other hand, th- you don't really get a sense of permanence there for quite a while, right? You know there there's a there's a trial period and um, and so I kind of felt a little bit on eggshells for a while, but um. But eventually settled in, and and yeah. What was the what was the audition process
2: like for the Daily Show? Did they did they just come out and see you do a set, or did you have to prepare like no, a, a at piece? That,
3: at that time, um, uh, the 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 Comedy Central talent person, I was just on her radar, um, and as a comedian, as a, com- a stand up comedian, so she was aware of me. And then they had this big cattle call audition, and uh, I don't know, a couple hundred people came in. I think at that time. And, uh, it was, you literally just reading a segment, a a teleprompted segment from the show, just as a, as a, you know, as a standup reporter, but it was a segment I had already seen on the show. (laughs) I had seen, I I mean, I watched the show religiously, so I had seen Colbert do this exact segment and then it's my audition piece. And I was like, all right, I'll knock this out of the park. (laughs) I, I I know exactly how you want it. And, uh, and then, um, and that that was the first round, and then there was a callback where about ten of us went into the studio and actually did this the the that same piece, mm-hmm. um, in the studio with John Stewart, and then sat at the desk with John and did a little chat segment with him too. Oh, that's cool. And uh, yeah, and that was it. And that that was the in, in that round is uh, when Rob Corddry and I were hired at the exact oh, same wow. time. Yeah. Oh, that must have been a great. That must have been. fun. I mean, that's like that's like when the Daily Show
2: was just popped. Like right, right there, really. That's kind of when it blew up. You know yeah. what? To
3: me, it popped from the very beginning. I was like, even when Craig Kilborn was a host, I, I was obsessed with it. I yeah. thought Craig I
2: Kilborn. Like,
3: I thought it was a great blah blah
2: blah blah blah. <laughs> Here's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Craig Kilborn. <Kobe.
3: laughs> um, But I I loved it even because it started when I was in college and I was just like, this is a really special, cool show that it's about damn time someone started doing this. I remember that because Doug Herzog, who went to run Comedy Central, he left MTV
2: to go run Comedy Central. And so I was working at MTV at the time and he went over to Comedy Central and I just went and had lunch with him or something. And he was like, yeah, we're going to develop this. this
3: kind of like Daily Show. <laughs> <laughs> this is sort of like a daily news kind of show. You know what's funny is that the 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 name the Daily Show was so ironic when it was when it was named that that was that was a joke. The name the Daily Show was a meta joke because no one called itself what the it Daily Show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Uh, it's like calling something the morning show. <laughs> it, it just doesn't. And, and 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 it had like ironic value. It's lost it over time. Now yeah. it's just become this proper noun, The Daily, the daily show, show. And everyone yeah. accepts it for it's what it is. a label, like <laughs> and Phoenix. It's, yeah. It's and, Phoenix. and it's lost its kind of uh, irony. Even Colbert Report,
2: which is his fucking name. Right. Like, it just sounds like it's just a thing. Right. right. Colbert Report. Right. It's now it's, it's,
3: it's, it's so funny how these things just kind of get, you know, they, they get grooved into our neural networks as like normal but for but when it started it was this Neural Network yeah. it, Freakum
4: <laughs> I love that tech Talk. I still I still can't hear the uh, the Daily Show theme without thinking about the episode uh, that Bill Murray was on and it was like one of the five questions was like, Can you make lyrics to the Daily Show theme song? He was just like, <laughs> Yeah. Why won't you watch it? It's the daily show. Come on <laughs> and watch it, it's the daily show. And then everyone's like, Oh fuck. Oh my god, he
3: yeah. did it. Now I can't help but hear it every this time. Is the, my, this is one of my greatest memories of that theme is backstage before the show. uh, If, if I was on the show and Colbert was also on the show, he would do this thing where uh, when the theme played in the studio, he would pretend like he was a trumpet player and he would be, he would be backstage just like, you know, like warming up his fingers and stuff, waiting, waiting for the music to start. And then, uh, and, and like, it, it, and then the announcer would come on, ladies and gentlemen, the 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 Daily Show, and then the theme starts, and he would put the trumpet up to his mouth like he was going to play, and then the guitars kick in, and he bring the trumpet down like, wait, what is, it's supposed to be supposed to be my trumpet part. He'd get all indignant. Uh, it's so funny. Just every uh, time, right? They do it every Col- time. Colbert pantomime bits, just
2: oh. genius. Does he does? does he drop character before he goes on or is he pretty much, does he pretty much become the character of the public character of Stephen
3: Colbert? Uh, no, I, you know, I think uh, everyone's in character pretty much when the care when the camera's rolling and yeah. then, and then and not, everyone's cool and, and they're and not like, yeah,
2: Please uh,
3: only I only address me in character. <laughs> right. So, so, right, right. right. All right. Well, if you want to talk to Ed Helms, uh, you're gonna to have to wait a few minutes. Wait, cause... is this Ed
2: Helms now, or is it the
3: other Ed Helms no, I'm talking this to? This is Daily Show Ed Helms. I'll oh, be okay. I'll right. be back in a minute. Uh, <laughs> let, let me just go in this closet. Stretch,
2: stretch. <laughs> uh, and then, so how did uh, was 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 the Office? Because you know, obviously, uh, being a fan of the original Office, uh, America has this really interesting pattern of. We don't have a strong success rate with trying to convert British shows because I always feel like, you know, like we speak the same word language, but there are so many subtextual things that are culturally that make us just different enough that things that work over in England don't necessarily work over here.
4: I call it the coupling conundrum.
2: The coupling conundrum, yeah, yeah, which uh, was a Stephen Moffat show, which (laughs) Stephen Moffat wrote on. And they they tried to make coupling work like three seasons in a row here in America. The Coupling was a huge, huge British sitcom. Every year they would would bring it back for like three years, and they could never get it to work, and so it never made it past the pilot. So when The Office was coming to America, I think I kind of had this – this snotty comedy prejudice, like, oh my god, what the fuck, right? And you guys totally made it your own show. I mean, it was an incredible feat that you have a completely separate show. And when most people talk about the Office in America now; they are generally not referring to the British version. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, uh, I—that's a real testament to Greg Daniels, who the the showrunner who who created the American version, and and Steve, obviously, yeah. I remember when that I was a fan of the British show Ricky Gervais is a just genius mm-hmm. and when I heard it was coming over I actually auditioned for the part of Jim really believe oh, it yeah oh. I remember going up to the NBC offices and auditioning in New York um but uh it, when when I heard that it was coming over uh and I heard that Carell was going to be the Ricky Gervais character I I, a lot of people like you were kind of like, oh boy, here we go. But I actually was a hundred percent confident that it was going to crush because I had I just had that much. I was such a fan of of Carell's, yeah. And we overlapped just a tiny bit on the Daily Show, like two months or something. Just and had really only met a couple of times. He was back and forth to L.A. Uh, at the time. I think doing that uh, Julia Julia Louis Dreyfus show, mm-hmm. watching Ellie. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think wasn't he on that or something else before that? Anyway, um, so he was sort of not around that much when I was on the Daily Show, and then he officially left, um, around the time, yeah, when the Office got going. So, uh, but I had I was I was so amped for it, and then of course they delivered, they and really it just did. became something great. And then I waited for it to win an Emmy, and I was like, oh. I'll join that show. <laughs> uh, they've been asking you since the beginning.
4: Come on, Ed. Come on the show. Let me just Wait, see how it does. <laughs> yeah, Wait me, till you yeah. win an Emmy. Let me see
2: if it works out. That's when okay. You'll get. <laughs> yeah, you
0: guys uh, will, It's Ed.
2: Yeah, you'll do. Hey, Greg, it's Ed. Yeah. You'll do. I'll I'll take it. I'll come on your show I'll come now. Come on. I mean, how much is is there? How much uh, is there? A lot of improvising on the on the set, or is it? How, um. I mean, because it just it seems like it seems very organic. It just seems like like a lot of a lot of organic
3: comedy in. In TV, you don't have the same time flexibility that you do on a movie set. Sometimes, so that there is a lot of improvisation, but it's very contained. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't spin out into kind of like you know crazy directions or right. or, or new rants and stuff. You a separate to... scene doesn't develop exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to like improvise something and then afterwards be like, now we have to shoot this because you guys said that. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work like that at all. Whereas in movies that can happen. Like you'll, you'll improvise something it'll go crazy and you you might make adjustments down the road because you have the sort of, uh, uh, flexibility in the schedule or, or in the production. So uh, on the office we improvise, but it's, it's really contained and you still have to hit the beats of a scene, mm-hmm. um, so we can kind of stay on schedule. And it also depends on the... We have, you know, a different director for almost every show. So uh, it kind of depends on their vibe and what they... How they direct. And yeah. and it also... If if we are in a time crunch, you, you can't really improvise. Right. Because you just don't have time. Because improvising takes... It's indulgent and it takes time.
2: Oh, and if it doesn't work, yeah. <laughs> a you, lot of times it doesn't that work. That is a weenie shrinker.
3: Um, you're wasting but, all the film you're shooting on everyone's
2: time, all the other actors. <laughs>
3: yes. But you're, uh, but the the scripts are so good. The writing staff at the office is so extraordinary that um, you don't need to. Yeah, you don't need to improvise, and and that's why when we do improvise, it tends to be little kind of one-off lines and little kind of spin off directions here and there but not like a huge kind of redirect of a scene yeah so
2: now yeah. that corral's leaving um uh man no one's really called me yet to fill in for him i don't know did you did they
3: say anything yes. to you yeah okay oh good they said that when they when i told them i was coming to do this this show they said will you uh will you ask chris oh, good yeah uh, to stop calling us.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, they may want my agent
3: to call. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah, right. that's right. probably what they mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, want yeah, to right. keep it official. <laughs> yeah, just have the agent or <laughs> the manager call
2: to. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, 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 I'm sure it's a bummer to see Steve Carell go, but I mean, like, when you talk about a show that has such a solid cast of characters, I don't think. I don't think the show is going to suffer one bit in terms of people not enjoying the show. I think it's... I mean, you guys have built such a, a great stable
3: of of people to that, watch. I mean, I, that's really gracious, Chris. And I, I I, happen to agree. We have an incredible cast on that show. And, um, and Steve's... The loss of Steve is sort of uh, catastrophic in one way. But on the other hand, it's just like a rebirth. It's an incredibly exciting new i don't know like a new reinvention of this of this peter show left <laughs> exactly and we got shock the monkey like <laughs> it's a fucking great uh, song and or we got Phil Collins in Genesis yeah
4: oh right yeah okay, like okay okay Hello. yeah no i'm sorry I
3: went, I went i went i went the peter
4: gabriel yeah. route yeah no
0: it's not too
3: bad. yeah <laughs> land of never confusion. go the peter gabriel route we got <laughs> illegal alien
0: yeah yes.
3: it's a no fun being an illegal Legal. alien Legal. Oh, I'm saying. But we also got uh, Phil Collins and Philip
2: Bailey. Uh, she's an easy lover. When you just saw the fun side of Phil Collins, just fucking around with Philip Bailey of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, those were good <laughs> times. Um, and uh, so the hang- so Hangover. I mean, Hangover was was one of those movies that really kind of redefined the next generation of comedy films being made because Whoa, no t- i'll easy. tell you exactly why because it was i mean you guys were you guys were all you guys you guys were all well known i mean you guys were all known but film works like film people don't know who tv people are generally like film studio executives right don't really know who tv people are and they don't generally treat tv i mean i've had tons of friends on tv shows and they're not treated very respectfully by studio people who tend to think it's this old you know pre- Vatican II idea of television and film which is like a film is classy and television is, is he, for the planet. Yeah, like he's right. a
4: real up-and-comer he's been uh, the lead of a TV show for about just, five years but you know
2: so to get three guys that that weren't huge superstars yet to to basically uh, drive a film was it was kind of a big well, I think kind of a big deal
3: um you know it I I, I think the big deal was the was this the this like utterly shocking juggernaut that it became because there is, there is a history of making, it wasn't a big movie. Like the budget wasn't huge. It was, it was, it wasn't like this massive risk for the studio. You know, it's not like they put, uh, unknown guys in, you know, uh, a giant Terminator scale blockbuster. Right. Uh, it was a relatively low end, in, in the budget sort of scale of things, it was relatively s- small and um uh and I think uh you know Todd Phillips uh God bless him fought really hard to to get the three of us in there and to be the the central characters and and uh convinced Warner Brothers that we wouldn't ruin it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh um so yeah, I don't know. I guess it's a uh the the phenomenon became what was just the this response that no one predicted? Right,
2: I mean, literally, like I was at a I was at a comic con in Chicago a couple like a month ago, and to see dudes walking around dressed up like your characters, it was so.
3: <laughs> I mean, it's so it's awesome, but the same yeah. was like holy shit, that's like just to see how much it's permeated culture. My, I, it's pretty. I, it's funny, like just that blacking out that tooth. Yeah, I saw a lot of people at Halloween. <laughs> Like, it's a very easy <laughs> costume. You just put yeah. on like a, a gray polo and black out your tooth and glasses. <laughs> and then of course a baby bjorn and your and, and a beard and a beard and yeah. your Zach. Zach. Yeah. I don't know how anyone could pretend to be Bradley Cooper though. That's a weird
4: They just gotta be first devastatingly handsome. Yeah. Yep.
3: Oh no, it's easy. You go to the gym. Uh, six hours a day for nine years. <laughs> you go home and have sex with every A-list actress. Just glad <laughs> when I like
0: bring up Bradley Cooper. I don't have to go. You know that guy from that one Stella sketch that I really. Yeah. <laughs> like? <laughs> the guy that was with Amy Poehler in What Hot American Summer. You yeah. know the guy.
2: You know the guy who was in Wedding Crashers who played the asshole. In God, Wedding he was Crashers. great. He was yeah, great. He was, was just, really great in Wedding
3: yeah. Crashers. But but, he is um, extraordinary. You know what? It, it you could actually, I think, Bradley's eyes are so striking that if they could, if they made like a Bradley Cooper brand. Contact lens. Yep, you anyone, anyone on Earth could put in those contact lenses, and people would be like, "Bradley, <laughs> are you Bradley?" Piercing the new fragrance by Bradley Cooper. He's uh he's and he seems like a he seems like a nice funny dude. I don't the really greatest, know the greatest, and uh, it's a it's a pretty incredible little. Little crew. So, was there, did you, were you excited to go work with all of your friends
2: again on the second go around? Or was any part of you like, oh, fuck, we did this so well the first time. And now, you know, like there are expectations. Or like, what was your, what was your mindset going into the second movie?
3: You know, we talked about it a lot kind of when, when the, when the concept of doing a sequel first came up. Um, Which was the, probably after the first weekend right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was very, it was very soon, but it didn't really, you know, the, the, it was brought up very soon after it. It, it opened, but it didn't really become real for a couple of months after that. But then when the conversation really got real, we all we all talked about it, and it was funny what I think what what we arrived at, certainly in my head, it's hard to make a movie. It takes many, many months of hard work, and you're in the trenches with people. And uh, what the movie is at the end of the day is a two-hour experience for for an audience, and that's kind of... Hopefully it's wonderful. But when you're on the production side of it, making the movie, you really have to weigh how you, what that experience is going to be like when you make these choices, because that's really how as an actor, you're spending your life. You're burning the wick of your life, like doing, working on these things. And, and you can either kind of like, if you have the option of working with wonderful people and that you love and are psyched to work with and, and you feel like you can make a good product with that's almost more important at the end of the day than what the product might be mm-hmm. um some of that you have no control over <laughs> yeah so so we kind of like we were all on the same page that that we just were psyched to work together again and that sort of made the decision easy and then if, but you know there was a there was also like well if the script kind of obviously the script has to be there. Like we have to have a Were good, you
2: involved in that, in the script process at all. Um,
3: there was a, there was a lot of kind of back and forth with the whole gang about sort of what, what the ideas might be, but really, um really it was Todd and Scott Armstrong and Craig Mason who, who just sort of went off and created that beautiful babe. Yeah. Scott's going to be on the podcast in June. We're going to oh, have great. him on. Yeah. Yeah. Scott's, that's a dear old friend. I actually met Todd Phillips through Scott. Oh, that's cool. At Scott's wedding, as a matter of fact, Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, wow. well, good friend, you went all the mm-hmm. way to South Carolina. Yeah. God damn it, South Carolina! <laughs> I got a fucking flight to South Carolina. I've I, know, and rent a talk. I've known Scott for a very long time, just through Upright Citizens Brigade shenanigans in New York. That's what's so fun about. I mean, like, uh,
2: you know, I, I always, I always sometimes hear stories about like, oh, there was so much drama on this set, and there was this, which was pain in the ass. But I, but my favorite thing is to sort of watch our community of comic friends all start to kind of take their places and get more known and, and show people what we already knew about them you know like that that part is always very exciting yeah to me. that's cool
3: yeah you're right it's fun it it's fun to watch uh your peers kind of bubble up and you're right. It's like when we know someone's awesome and we're rooting for them. Yeah, and <laughs> like, it's,
2: almost, it's almost selfishly. It's almost validating. Like I knew it. Yeah, <laughs> I always knew that guy was really <laughs> funny, and I'm not an idiot because now everyone else sees how funny he is. It's a pretty cool. It's a pretty cool, fun thing to uh, to experience. And I, and I, I, you know, I mean, listen, I, I think Hangover Two is going to do
3: phenomenally well. Phenomenally I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> I really, I'm gonna hold you to that.
0: As I said to Tom Lennon on Saturday, there's not a dollar in this country that movie won't make. Yeah, <laughs> I really
4: want. I really want um, um, Todd uh, Phillips to get to a point where he has like a huge movie coming out and it says, "From the guy who made uh, hated the Gigi Allen documentary." <laughs> <laughs> we'll go. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, we should go see that movie about that rock and roller dude that threw shit at people. <laughs>
2: Uh, and I also want to let people oh, do you ever want to do stand- up again like a stand-up a kind of
3: thing that because obviously if you wanted to tour now you could fill very large rooms well I, I I do it as a little sort of segment of the whiskey sour radio hour yeah and I do little bits here and there I'll jump on like a friend's show at at Largo now and then but um what I found especially after I got on the daily show is that to do to do stand up well and to be psyched about it and to have fun doing it you have to be doing it regularly yeah. and to just pop in every 6 months and do a set is actually just blood curdlingly terrifying <laughs> and, and it's just not as fun because it, you're not in the rhythm you're not in your you know your sort of voice is like your your comedic voice is a little more kind of uh unprocessed at that point but and then it puts you, know, you
4: off for another six months so you're like it wasn't yeah. very fun and then you miss it
3: um but uh but i do have fun every time i do it and i do so i guess there is this thing in the back of my head like i i would like to do more of it i, I miss it i certainly miss those those times in new york city there really is nothing else
2: that can substitute for a good stand-up set yep no yep. matter no matter what you or what you do, and I would imagine you know the more famous people get, the kind of scarier it is because if people have a certain expectation, you know, like, oh, that guy's always going to be funny right. all the time, you know, when you're seeing a when you're seeing really good edited work together, <laughs> right, like you're, right. like you you know, like your best takes <laughs> and you're you're always super funny and and but then it's like, oh no, this is a process. Some of these jokes may not work. This is just part of how stand up works, you guys.
3: Hey, audience, work with me here. <laughs> Come on, you um, guys. But there's a flip side to that too, which is that if 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 you're known then people are coming to see you hopefully because they like you already right. so yeah. th- so there's like a the, sometimes audiences can be really warm and receptive yeah. and give you a little more leeway <laughs> that yes. way. um but uh it, yeah i don't know it, it's hard the ske- my schedule has been pretty bananas just be- sure. between the off uh, like when when i'm in production on the office i it's like i can't do anything yeah. i can't really think about much outside work be it stand up or whatever else so um i
2: also want to tell people that if they have not seen cedar rapids they should see cedar rapids hey thanks um, i saw the screening um that you had and uh it was great i mean such a fun movie thank you and i love steven root
3: oh my gosh yeah i don't i don't think you can still see that movie anywhere <laughs> it's not it's not like on itunes or, or uh or yeah Netflix you know what, it'll be it'll be it should be bubbling up in in those on those yeah those outlets it's a really too.
2: fun movie that I think people people should go see very mm-hmm.
3: proud of that, very extremely proud of it. John C Riley delivers what I think is his most <laughs> hilarious performance of all time. He's so heartbreaking in that movie. <laughs> He's so sad <laughs> uh and Kurtwood Smith and I have a nude scene together,
2: yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Kurtwood Smith, mm-hmm. just give me my fucking phone call. It's <laughs> from
3: RoboCop. I would just be quoting <laughs> RoboCop to <laughs> Kurtwood Smith the whole time. I believe it, I was. Leave. I was so psyched that bitches this- <laughs> leave. Oh God, I, I loved, I loved him
2: in RoboCop. What a weird choice for a villain he was. Like aesthetically, what an insanely great and completely different kind of choice. Like this, this kind of
3: creepy-looking, sneering, bald guy, yeah, Clarence, <laughs> Boddicker. Clarence Boddicker. Wow. you're Good coming one. with me. The best part—I remember watching that on VHS as a as a kid and rewinding on my VHS machine. the 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 scene where the guy stumbles out of the toxic waste yes. and, and gets yeah, hit yeah. By, by the, the car—it's car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's completely Splatid. exposed. And it's an amazing if you slow it down and watch it like frame for frame. the The special effects makeup that they did on the guy coming out of the toxic waste thing is. Glorious. That guy,
0: awesome. his, his name is Paul. He's, he lives near me, so I see him all. Which the guy? Night. The guy that was the guy, in the toxic yeah, waste? Yeah, 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 Oh my god! Yeah. He, and I always
3: say hi to him. He like his half his face is dripping yeah. off, and yeah. like Such it's a gory so movie.
0: cool. Yeah, it really <laughs> like
2: just that movie just captured. this just satirized the sort of post the post? kind of post Cold War nuclear age of just like what like where conceivably towns should like cities should have gone yeah in 10 or 15 years from well, from, from the Detroit's 80s.
0: Detroit's not far. Off.
4: Yeah. <laughs> That's why they need that statue.
2: <laughs> yeah this is the RoboCop statue. Yeah. OCP. They're, is there a, is that real? They're trying to yeah, get there's a campaign to, to try over. to get a Robocop statue put up in Detroit. Oh yeah. I'm, for they, yeah, I'm, I'm for it. Yeah I'm for I'm for it too. That. But uh Ed Helms we've taken up enough of your time but I do want to say um uh, thank you. You know, you're one of those guys that uh if somehow like my head was up my ass, and I hadn't seen some of the biggest thing our our culture has to offer, like the Office and the and the Hangover series. That uh, I I would just never guess, like oh Ed's a big famous comedian. Like you're just such a nice guy. Like it's, always, it's always nice to hang out with you. So thank Fuck you for you, Chris. Yeah, so I beg to. I do- <laughs> I'm to rape your face, Chris Hardwick. Uh, That's real. Also, thank you. And That's also crazy. as a Kids in the Hall fan, I just thought I would bring out my Kevin McDonald impersonation. Very just to good. Say, oh, thank you very much, Ed Helms. I've been working on <laughs> it for quite a long time.
3: I don't know that's why. Really
2: good. That's the only. That's really the only impersonation I do.
3: Uh, you don't do a, a Bruce McCullough. Oh well, I
2: mean, you know, there's a little bit of that guy. Yeah. All right, but it's
3: not as good. It's not as good as my Kevin McDonald. Can I just reference my favorite? Kids in the Hall sketch of all time. Please, Please. the guy, the uh, the 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 hunters, the suits, the, the, the suit hunters. They they, they yeah. paddle a canoe through the office. So <laughs> genius! And and they they and they trap businessmen in bear traps, <laughs> yeah. and then and then take their suits and sell them to a haberdasher. <laughs> right, but yeah. first, yeah. they
2: yeah. club the <laughs> businessmen yeah. rather yeah. than just taking their clothes off. They fucking club them. Oh my yeah. god. Ah, uh, we have some fine selections for you today, <laughs> Armani. This one
0: had, was brave, and like he chewed his leg off. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> love that,
2: that was, it that. was very similar to the one where uh, they like the, steel-toe boots. Where, where where the kid finds a businessman, and like oh, he yeah. adopts oh, it yeah, like yeah, a pet.
0: Yeah. He's
2: like, <laughs> no, he, we need to let him go, honey. He yeah. needs to live with. There's something wrong with Mister Jenkins. <laughs>
3: Oh. God damn it, that yeah. show. And the theme song to that show so good. just was Shadowy so, Men
4: on a Shadowy Planet. Yeah,
3: it just had such a great vibe. And the opening yeah. credits, like that nostalgic bing, black and white bing, stuff, bing. that yeah. was a just that genius show. Yeah. There's actually, I forget which episode of it, but it's a Mystery Science Theater episode
4: where it's just like a uh, shot of like a car just driving along the street, like just the stuff going by, and then like I think
3: Mike Nelson just is like he's like, it's
4: kids in the hall. I just like, oh, they all They're know. crossing over, they they're
0: crossing know. over. Mystery
3: Science yeah. Th- Theater, the Gizmonic Institute. Gizmonic, Gizmonic Institute. Yeah, most brilliant name for an institute ever. <laughs> oh god. Dude 13. 13.
2: I got Those are all on Netflix. So the old uh, a, lot are, oh, a, lot are, a lot of them are, a lot of them are.
0: But all of the kids in the halls are on Netflix. if so you are yeah. out there listening to this and you're a kid in high school or something, go watch all the kids in
2: the halls. So what else is? There, is there anything else that uh, that you have uh, coming out that you want to promote besides what's going to be the hugest movie in America or <laughs> Cedar <do> you, Rapids, <laughs> Cedar Rapids Hangover Two? So
3: I'm going to be hosting Saturday Night Live on on May 14th. What? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Dude, yeah, yeah, you haven't that. done that before, have no, you? No.
2: Are you are you freaking out? Completely. Have they <laughs> talked? Do you know what you're going to do yet? Have you talked I have to them?
3: Not stopped shitting my pants since I heard. I've noticed. That <laughs> would explain the mi- the <laughs> microphone fart sounds from earlier. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly.
2: Oh my god, that's huge.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm beyond psyched. You coming in with ideas? You've been starting to write any ideas. I have written the entire show already. Oh, good! <laughs> Guys, here's what we're gonna do. Here's here are, gonna are gonna your do. lines, everybody. <laughs> I emailed it to Lauren Michaels, <laughs> and uh,
2: so no. I see this as a 90 minute one person show about <laughs> exactly. a man, a young man's journey from adolescence <laughs> through. Uh, uh, what I would call superstardom, right? Right. So
3: uh, I've been planning to do, be on the show for 20 years, and as such, I've written uh, an entire. I've written parts for everybody. Yeah, i am exactly. actually church I've, ladies in there. I've called past cast members. They're all <laughs> who I like. They're all coming back. Can we yeah. get to? Denitra yeah. uh, Vance. Denitra Vance. No, I'm just like to to. I, I mean, I can't believe it. I'm I, and I I already know and love so many of the people on the show now, um, and uh, I'm just like to get in there and roll with it and have a great time. I'm so excited for you. That's going to be great. I will
2: definitely watch. Uh, do you know the band? Yes, I know. Paul Simon. Whoa!
3: Yeah. <laughs> are you going to play, play with him? Are you going to play banjo with Paul Simon? <laughs> I don't know.
2: Oh, my God. You have to. <laughs> oh. You have to. Dude, no, oh God! All right.
3: I'll tell them that you said that. Yes.
2: Yes. Uh, Chris Hardwick says, uh, I'm gonna stop you right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so excited. So hang over to and uh, and you're hosting SNL and then the off op- the office continues. Um thank you so much for coming in and then and then uh, w- where can people get more information about uh about whiskey sour radio hour? Well
3: the whiskey sour radio hour doesn't have its own web presence or anything, but the LA Bluegrass Situation uh has a site, LA Bluegrass Situation dot com. Cool. And we just wrapped up uh the second annual. So We'll be back in a year. If I didn't, uh, if I didn't
2: piss off the higher ups, aka you, uh, by being out of town in Florida this past weekend, I would love to come back and sing some bluegrass mm, you're tunes. On thin ice, Hardwick.
3: <laughs> I don't know. Damn it. I don't
2: know. Yeah, no. Well, we'll of I'll course. send you some audition tapes. You're already invited back. I'll send. I'll send you some audition
3: tapes. Uh, thank you so much, Ed Helms. It's good to see you. It's uh, been an abject pleasure, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's it. <laughs> Jonah, come back. <laughs> no, I'm Oh, Good Doppler effect. Thank you. <laughs> enjoy Wait, what's that? I said, enjoy your burrito. Thanks, guys. All right. So I was going to play Hard and Firm's Rodeo Head, which I am positive I've played on the podcast before. Instead, I was able to find the Punch Brothers quite easily, actually. Uh, They did a cover of Pack Like Sardines in a Crushed Tin Box on the deluxe version of the album Antifogmatic, which is available on the iTunes. So go there and buy it now because it is phenomenal. All right, so here's the Punch Brothers with their cover of Pack Like Sardines in a Crushed Tin Box. Here on the Nerdist Podcast. Buy their album.
1: Get off my case, get off my case, get off my case. This episode of
2: the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Easy, automatic, unlimited backup for your computer files. Try it free for 15 days at carbonite.com. Use the offer code NERDIST.
1: Tidy Cats knows that home is where your cat is. So they've designed the Tidy Care Alert Health Monitoring Cat Litter with your furriest feline in mind. Here's the inside scoop. Litter plays an important role in your cat's health, happiness, and well-being. Tidy Care Alert uses pH technology and color-changing crystals that are gentle on the paws to monitor your cat's health and alert you of any potential concerns. It's the perfect tool to help you ensure your cat gets the care it needs. Put your mind at ease and let Tidy Care Alert help you keep an eye on your cat's health.